0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, And today we are talking about Something that may be very relevant to you and on your mind as you're addressing, how do I handle my financial life and my financial decisions in light of the economic factors and the, the, the situation around me that is out of my control? How do I handle that environment, understand it, and know what to do with my money so that I can have the most today, have the most in the future, and really be in a position of confidence and peace of mind? So today, I think a lot of people are asking this question in light of inflation, in light of the way that we see our our dollars being devalued and the way that we feel the price is going up, we feel more cash flow going out of our pocket today because the same goods and services that last year cost less are costing more now. And we see inflation as a set figure, a actual figure that is um shared as the the public figure around 7%, probably much higher if you look at the pocketbook and you look at the experience that you're going through right now. How do we think about inflation? And so I'm sure that you have concerns around this idea more specifically than maybe you're not necessarily thinking about inflation or that specific word or the economics of it even. You might be saying, well, if I'm spending more on things today, how does that impact me in terms of my dollars are going to be worth less tomorrow. What do I want to do with my money today to make sure that my dollars are at least keeping up with inflation? Is savings still relevant? How should I be thinking about investing? Should I invest instead of saving to try to get ahead of the inflation amounts? Should I spend my money today and consume more, which is kind of what it seems like the um, the environment would have us be doing buying things instead of keeping our cash because tomorrow it's going to be worth less. How do you handle all of these questions and make the best, wisest, level-headed decisions with your money? So, Bruce, I would love to just hear your thoughts as we kick off this idea about what to do with my money to protect
2: it from mm-hmm. inflation. Yeah, um, you know, I, I do a lot of. I don't know if self help um, for me personally on almost a daily basis, and I have coaches, both business and personal, along the way. And you know, one of the things that I think you have to do is evaluate everything that comes into your life. So, and that means you need to think. You need, uh, uh, that's what separates us from <clears throat> animals. Animals have like an innate ability where they're re- kind of reacting on instinct, not necessarily thinking so much. Now, some of them have some capacity. But the fact of the matter is, is that you also have to think about your thinking. Like, why are you thinking this way? Mm-hmm. And then you have to figure out what external things are actually causing you to think that way. And it's not just in your finances. It's about your relationships. And it's about uh, your political views and, and views on life. And so, when we have people reaching out to us and they ask us different questions, like, "What do I do in a deflationary environment and what I do in an inflationary environment?" we have this soundbite generation that we've we've discovered uh, or the McDonald's drive-through you know generation, we have to have it now. and when people people get frustrated at us, when we say, "Well, we have to take a full financial picture and we have to actually talk to you about your goals and aspirations." Because if if things were that easy, we could just design a computer program and we could just put your stuff in a computer program and it it wouldn't spill out the answers.
1: Ah, oh, Bruce, that's yeah. a really good point. I think yeah. many times we expect it to be that easy, mechanical. We expect that all of the factors of our life are um foreseeable. We can know the future. We can know exactly how much money we need, we can know exactly what's gonna happen in the future, and there we can therefore we can have a predictable Financial plan that always works, but I mean, we're clearly not that mechanical and robotic, right?
2: Right, and 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 the problem is, is that you know, even even the financial services industry is kind of uh, espoused that they could do that. You know, give me your information, I'll put it in the computer. We'll put some things like, oh, we're going to assume a rate of return of this. We're going to assume taxes are this. We're going to assume inflation is this. And and 30 years, you're going to have this much money. And so we're just as bad as you know, what I call the, the financial entertainment inter- industry.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
2: that's, and that's things on cable television. It's, it's things on the internet. Uh, as, as far as magazines are now really been replaced and newspapers have been replaced by the internet and social media. And people are just searching, searching, searching for the answers. And frankly, I think it's because people have become extremely lazy. You know, they're just, they just think, um, and I wrote, I wrote down in pre- preparation for this. It's like a WebMD. I have several doctor friends and they, they get so frustrated because, you know, people have come to them or they'll call their office and say, Hey, I read on WebMD that, you know, uh, the, the Zika virus symptoms are this, this, and this, and I have all of those, so I need to get in right now because I have the Zika virus, even though it's not prevalent in the U.S. at all. But the the WebMD is like, oh well, we can we can diagnose you by all you have to do is look at our website, and that's how people feel about their financial lives. Frankly, that's how people feel about their relationships now too. You know, Cosmopolitan, uh, you know, will will put out. You know the seven ways to see if you have a good relationship with your spouse, and then all of a sudden people think, "Oh my goodness, I I only have one of those seven. I must have a terrible relationship.
3: Mm. It's
2: too complicated. It's too complicated to to uh, espouse that this is the way it is."
1: Bruce, so it's interesting. Things- I wanted just to say something about that. I mean, I I would say it feels challenging to say that we do all this research because we're lazy. But I get where you're going because I think we want information. We want to have our arms and our grasp around how life works. And yet I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. And then you have to sift through, is the information factual or is it someone's opinion? And you can have five different ideas of what are the seven ways to know if you have a good relationship or not, yet we all are attracted to those kinds of headlines because we want to know where, we're, where we have gaps and where we're missing information. And I think sometimes it can make us turn to the other information instead of really knowing something we think we know. And I think that can cause a huge uh, gap in we all think we know a lot more than we really actually know.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was listening to uh, the great philosopher Ricky Gervais today. And that's, that's tongue-in-cheek because Ricky Gervais is actually a comedian. But he is a deep thinker. He's a very deep thinker. And he said, you know, it's it's kind of ridiculous, he said in an interview, that we used to say, your opinions do not trump my facts. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now people have all have have turned this on and said, Yeah, my feelings do trump your facts. My feelings are more important than your facts. Because people have all of a sudden believe that the truth is only about what they feel. It's not what is actually out there. So one of the things that, that when you do that, then you've taken personal responsibility away from yourself. And people do that in the financial services industry all the time because they say, well, I don't want to be responsive. You know, this person told me this, so it's their fault that it didn't happen. Okay? Instead of saying, I researched this and I realized there's some risk here. I realize I'm giving something up. If I do this, I could have done this the other way. We have some advisors right now, because you know, uh, here at E3 in St. Louis, our philosophy is advance and protect.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That's our ph- philosophy: advance and protect. We have some advisors for the last twelve years. Now, all of a sudden, saying, you know, we've had such a great, a great run up in the stock market. Maybe we shouldn't have been so conservative. Maybe we, maybe we should have been a little bit more aggressive. Well, hindsight's always twenty twenty. If If the stock market would have actually tanked, then you would have said maybe we weren't conservative enough Exactly. In this situation.
1: And the most valuable thing you can do is continue to move the ball forward, but make sure that nothing sweeps in and steals the, the ground that you've already gained. But yes, you can always look back and say, well... We could have done this. We could have been in Bitcoin because it's been more, it's had a higher um, growth rate than we would have foreseen. I mean, there's so much to this, Bruce, but I think you need to stick with your fundamentals, even when the information around you is telling you, do this, do that, because it can be very attractive and it can pull you towards wanting to
3: do something or telling you that your fundamentals are wrong.
2: Yes. And so, we we uh i think today we were going to talk about you know a question on everybody's mind is what would what do you do with inflation and you know everybody has an opinion including do we really have inflation and is inflation bad you know that's another opinion you could have you mm-hmm. could say well actually and by the way i i guess we have to say this we're not giving anybody advice yes we are all we're doing here is Is talking about the pros and the cons to different things. So, we're trying to get you to think about your thinking.
3: Yes.
1: I just want to add on to that. that. Yes. So, if you are listening to a podcast and then going and making your own decisions without talking to an advisor to get your full financial picture, that is taking education as advice. And we do not want you to do that with this show. The purpose of this channel, this conversation is and has been since the beginning to give you information, to make you think differently, to question maybe what the status quo says, to question what you've been doing so that you can make better decisions going forward. It is not a replacement for advice. So I just wanted to add on to that.
2: Yeah, and actually, Rachel, you you kind of sparked one of the other things I wanted to talk about today. Another thing uh, when you're looking for information People espouse different types. That's the third time I've used to "espouse" in this. Uh,
1: you like that broadcast. word? It's okay, Bruce. <laughs> I need
2: I I need to get a better, better vocabulary. Well, it's a uh, good
1: word, so I like it.
2: But people talk about the importance of something in a vacuum. So, like one of the things that people talk about in investing in your life is fees. Now, fees are are very important, but they're only one part of the equation. I always find I always find it interesting that. People do not like the fact that very rich people get richer and richer and richer, and one of the ways they get richer is they invest in hedge funds. And hedge funds have some of the highest fees ever. You know, they'll be two to five percent, and in some cases, they'll even be higher than that. And yet, people say, "Well, the best way to get, you know, wealthy is actually to lower the fees." Well, which is it? the wealthy are getting wealthy because they're putting their money in the hedge funds that have the highest fees
3: mm. and
2: other people are not getting wealthy because they say, just buy index funds. Don't talk to an advisor, just keep it all in index funds and, and you'll, you know, be wealthy at the end, whatever wealthy means, you know, frankly. Right. So it's kind of like, uh, we always say, uh, you know, financial, getting your financial life in, in, in order is much like getting your physical life in order. Uh, for your physical emotional life in order, you wouldn't go to, um, I think it was George Carlin once. I think he, the comedian said, do you, do you know what you call the guy that, or the guy or girl that finishes last in medical school? Doctor.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> That's what you
2: call him. <laughs> and so, and they also, I also heard a comedian say, you know, somewhere in the world, there's the world's worst doctor and you may be going to them. Well, the fact of the matter is, just because you're going to the doctor, you have to take responsibility for your own health and trying to figure out what's best for you, too, because of the way you live your lifestyle and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you have to question everything, including I hope people are questioning what we're trying to do in an educational uh, situation. So let's go ahead and kind of dive into um, some of the things that we wanted to talk about. We we picked it. We picked or you picked Two things to talk about, uh, article from invested, uh, Investopedia about the nine, the nine places to put your money, uh, or nine strategies. Let me get the exact.
3: I will nine put the ass- link as
2: well. Nine- yeah. Nine asset classes for protection against inflation. So the first thing, the first thing that you, you see from this, from Investopedia, you see this headline: is it's a, it's almost an absolute. Well, not no, it is an absolute. They're mm-hmm. telling you these are the nine asset classes for protection against inflation. What is, does that mean? Like they never fail? That's what it sounds like. So now you're thinking Investopedia. Oh, they're not charging me anything. They are just in this because they are trying to help society, and I th- and I believe that's true. But the other thing is, as you look off to the right, you see all these, all these, all these ads, mm-hmm. and so they're getting paid. And I have no problem with them getting paid. But you have to you have to ask yourself: Is the information that they're putting out um, worthy of you thinking about it? Okay, I'm not even saying worthy of you doing. I'm just saying worthy of you thinking about. It. The first thing you should do, just like you should do with Rachel and I is decide the people that actually wrote this, are they competent to actually write it? So then you look at the, the person who wrote it, Caitlin Peters, and you look at this and you say, well, what has Caitlin Peters done that makes her credible for this? I do this with every article that I read every day to try to help me grow my knowledge base. I say to myself, who wrote it? And what are their uh, what are their uh, educational backgrounds? What their, What is their experience? Because I just don't go an educational background either. But what is their experience? Well, I'm sure Caitlin's an outstanding writer. And matter of fact, she has five plus years of writing consultant for nonprofits and grant pro- programs. She's, a, she's currently a volunteer for editorial uh, contributor of the liter- literary journals and books. And she's a uh, former editor at Investopedia. So she actually used to be an editor, worked for Investopedia. Now she's just a freelance writer. But what's an interesting is her education is, and I don't want to downplay this, but her education is simply, she has a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing from Evergreen State College. I'm sure Evergreen State College is great. I'm sure a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing is great because I'm a terrible writer, so I think that's the greatest thing in the world. But what qualifies her to be able to write something like this? Well, Wikipedia a- would say this. So I've said all this to say that. Well, it was re- the article was actually written by her, and then it was reviewed by Chip Stapleton. Everybody can look at the look at this and make a decision for it. now, Chip. Stapleton has a series seven and series 66 license holder. So I know this guy actually has studied and he has actually, you know, done a lot of financial work. And then it says he has eight years of experience in finance, both from financial planning and wealth management to corporate finance. I think that's great. However, he does he has never in his experience worked with clients. All he's ever done is been in a back analyst room, and then his most of his experience is actually training training advisors on how to properly do things in their evaluation or analyst of products. So not implementation of this, which you know I, once again, I think that's that's something that you have to evaluate. He has some really nice uh credentials as far as passing. The other fact uh, then it, that was reviewed by Chip Stapledon, then it was fact-checked by Peter Rathburn, who is a freelance writer on personal and econo- in the personal and economic fields. Now, once again, I'm a for- former teacher, so I respect teachers. He actually looks like he retired as an English teacher, and he's been fact-checking for Investopedia as a second. Career, but only for 11 months. So, you know, I think you actually have to have a little bit of knowledge on what you're doing to be a fact checker. You know, some of that. But maybe we could say no. If you do, if you if you get to enough different resources, you don't really need to have actually done that. You just have to compare and contrast. But the fact of the matter is, this is another person who's never ever worked with clients. And doesn't maybe doesn't realize that there's a lot more things that go into decision making than just facts. So I'll, so I think I'll that's... stop there and talk about and talk about that's how I that's how I review any information I get online.
3: Well,
1: thank you for walking us through that exercise alone because. It can be very easy to say, here's a great article, here's a great headline, here's a great um, information we talked about earlier, the seven ways to know if your relationship is healthy or not. And then we gravitate towards those headlines, we read those, and it's easy to then say, oh, here's exactly what I need to be doing except for then another article will contradict that information. So now what do you do when you have contradictory information? Oh, well, here's one way to think about this. Well, here's another way to think about the same thing. And honestly, I mean, Bruce, we could go really far down the rabbit hole with this, but economically, there's multiple ways to look at what is good and in an economy. When you read most articles, they are all citing Keynes or Keynesian philosophy, which is an act, Uh, an economic way of thinking, and you can give clarification on this, but there's Keynesian economics and there's Austrian economics, and they're not, they do not see the same things the same way. They do not propose the same solutions. And so you can look at there's facts in the world. And then in addition to those facts, you have a philosophy or a way of thinking that provides a theory or a proposed solution according to their way of thinking. And so is inflation a problem? Is it a problem that we are where we are with inflation? Is that the main thing we should be focusing on? I mean, you brought something up earlier, the whole idea about fees. Is that the main thing or is that something on the fringe that is used to distract us from what the main thing should be? And so I'm going to say at the forefront here, I think the most important thing beyond what product should i put my money into right now what where should i save my money what should i what asset should i be in what investment should i be in i think the number one question even above what should i do about inflation is this what are my financial fundamentals how am i saving cash because i need to have a store of capital for reserves for my business and for my personal life and once i have once i have savings and a store of capital how am I investing in what I know and control? That question is going to answer, be answered and take you a completely different direction than just what do I do about inflation? Because if the only question is what do I do about inflation, you're going to go one direction. If the only question is what do I do about interest rates, you're going to go another direction. If the only question is how do I get the highest rate of return, you're going to go another direction. If the only question is how do I minimize all my fees, you're going to be going in a hundred different directions, And being very distracted, and having competing financial objectives that do not help you accomplish all one thing. So um, there's so much that we could say about this. So Bruce, let's kind of walk through now that we've um, analyzed and shared just how how deep you go with understanding an article and the the rationale behind it, the philosophy and perspective and experience informing this information or in this body of knowledge. Let's Look deeper at this Investopedia article, and it's not the only place that we're hearing people talk right now about where to put your money to protect it right. against inflation. But let's kind of go, go through what they talk about and what are some of the pros and cons, and how should somebody be thinking about capital to maintain the fundamentals and handle everything, including inflation?
2: Yeah. So the first one they, they put is, is the one that almost everybody talks about, and that's gold. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting about this is, I think you and Lucas, you've talked about this on the podcast on many occasions, Yes, that, that gold is traditionally a, a good hedge against inflation um, because in times of inflation, people tend to, to uh, go to a real asset because
3: mm-hmm.
1: one of
2: the reasons we have inflation is because we have an increase of money supply that is backed by nothing. Well, it's at least fiat, gold, is, Fiat. Yeah, Fiat. It's actually just produced on the full confidence that people who use it have confidence that it's worth something. Right. The the anyway, some people say the U.S. government's ability to actually pay back its debt of of the bonds, which actually created the money, where gold is an actual physical scarce resource that it will never go to zero. It can lose value, but it can never go to zero. And that's why people have a uh, fleet to it. So example, you know, I grew up and you know, people said, we haven't had this kind of inflation since 1982. Uh, hello, I could raise my hand and say, I grew up through that. So one of the things that uh, a lot of people, I, I think this is kind of well-known throughout the country, is, you know, you get a, when you graduate from high school, you get a senior class ring. Well, when I graduated from high school in 1981, inflation was still rampant. I didn't get a class ring because uh, gold was so expensive. I actually did. I actually indexed it for this particular podcast, and gold. I would have. My class ring would have cost me about twenty six hundred dollars uh, as a senior, and I made a decision that wasn't important enough to spend twenty six hundred dollars on. In nineteen eighty one, in nineteen eighty one dollars.
3: Yeah. So
2: wow. so but now gold has been replaced in a lot of sense, and people aren't fleeing to it as much, so its value is not staying up to inflation. A lot of people are saying this. I'm not saying this is true or not, you have to do your own research because of cryptocurrency, because people are espousing cryptocurrency is the new gold. So now we're in times of inflation, people would have would have gone to gold, and then thus the value of the gold goes up, people aren't, aren't fleeing the gold as much as they're going to cryptocurrency, so the value isn't going up. So I would say traditionally, yes, it's been a place, but now because of the change that's come up, cryptocurrency, it hasn't been the place that traditionally it has been for inflationary purposes.
1: Yeah, I think what's really interesting about gold, and I've shared this on previous shows, yes, Lucas and I put a lot of our savings into gold and silver around the 2008 timeframe when we had more cash coming in than we were spending and we were saving wonderfully, but we were putting it all into gold and silver, all into precious metals. And the idea was that we had at the time, if we put our cash into a store of value, it doesn't matter what kind of inflation or deflation, what kind of devaluation of the dollar happens, will have real money and that will last over time. It will purchase, it will have generally the same purchasing power over time where a dollar in an inflationary environment may be worth less and less and less, or it will buy less and less and less over time. Now, the problem with gold and silver though, is that yes, you can sell it. So yes, it has liquidity. However, it is not necessarily liquid at the drop of a hat. It does not necessarily mean that there is a ready buyer at the moment that you want to sell it. And you cannot necessarily guarantee that it's going to be selling at a rate that is favorable for you. So there is an element of speculation, which we fell on the wrong side of when we needed access to our cash and the cash or the the price of gold at the time was significantly reduced from where we purchased it at, at it at. Now, if we had planned to just hold it, and we did, we planned to hold it 20, 30, 40, 50 years, in that situation, yes, we could have continued to hold the gold and silver, but it did not make sense for us when we factored in our need for cash and access to capital, which every single business owner and every single family has a need for, that we were completely blind to at the time and realized later is absolutely n- necessary. So we're going to continue going on through this article, and again, they had nine asset classes for where you should be putting your money in an inflationary environment. So, Bruce, are you ready for the next one?
2: Yeah, and and I'm probably I'll go through these a little faster. Yeah. now, so you know, uh, inflation basically is about increasing the money supply, and we've done that. Uh, some people are saying we're do- we have done that because um, of all the things uh, because of COVID. Uh, the government decided that it was better if we just flood money, you know, to the uh, businesses, the individuals, so on and so forth. And then when you have more money to spend, you know, we've had Dr. Uh, Bob Murphy on the show again and um, or before. And Bob and I have talked about this a lot. and He's a lot better at explaining it to me. But, you know, because you know you have money, you're willing to pay more for that particular asset that you might have. Well, commodities—oil, gas, metals, um, wood, plastic, so on and so forth—are commodities. And so, you know, we 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 saw this during COVID. You know, there was a supply and demand situation going up, but the demand was raising was it, it raised because they people had a lot more money from the stimulus things. So a lot of people think, and oil is going through the roof right now. Natural gas is going through the roof right now, and there's other reasons why it's, it has gone up. We don't have time to go over this in this particular podcast, but it's mainly because there's just a lot more. Now the next one they espouse is 60/40 stocks a split. We there are if you if you want to do something, actually Google 60/40 stock and bond split on the internet. And you will get many, many articles that say that particular uh, way of taking care of your finances has been dead. And many people uh, have mathematically showed that it's probably dead, including Dr. Wade Bau, who we've had on our show before. But it is so ingrained in the fin- financial uh, literacy of advisors who have been in the business for 40 years. That they still keep uh, spurting out this sixty forty blend, sixty forty blend, sixty forty blend, and yet as interest rates go up, bond values go down. I've I've done this on the show before, so as interest rates go up, a bond is sold in in a par value of one thousand, and it's a debt instrument, so it's a promise. It, whether it's corporate or government, it's going to or a municipality. What you basically say is, "I'm giving you a thousand dollars, you're going to agree to give me interest over that time period, let's say 10 years, and I'm going to give you two percent interest over that time, and at the end, I'll give you your 1,000 dollars back. okay? Now, during that time period, if interest rates go up to say three percent, you, your bond hasn't matured yet. It hasn't gone to 10, it hasn't gone to 10 years and it's a good contract. So now in order to get that 3%, you'd have to sell your bond. But who's going to buy a, a 2% yielding bond when they can just go out and buy a brand new bond for 3%? Right. Yep. So you can so you have to say, "Well, okay, will you please buy my bond instead of giving me a 1000 which is worth which it was worth a couple of years ago?" I'll sell it to you for $950. There's actually a negotiation going on here in the free market. So then you've lost money. Now there's 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 calculations that you can do. It's not that simple because you have been, been, been paid 2% over the last two years on this. But then there's time value, money, so on, so forth. But just for simplicity's sake, that's what happened. Now, the the converse is also true. If you had a bond in the... Eighties that was paying seven percent and it was a thirty year bond and and in the two thousand and eight crisis they they took bond prices down interest rates down so now somebody says, "Well, I can go out and buy a thirty year bond for two percent, but you have this thirty year bond that for two more years that is paying seven percent, so hey, I'll give you hundred dollars over it and I'll pay you eleven hundred dollars. So the bond, the bond value actually went up. So bond values go up in decreasing interest rate environments, and they go down in increasing rates environments. Well, if forty percent of your stock portfolio is in the, in bonds, I don't understand how that's a hedge against inflation, which they talk about.
1: Which Reefs- is interesting. Let's just say something okay. more about that for a second. So. There's interest rates are connected with inflation. And now there's again a lot of differences of opinion about what should be done with this. But the Fed can change inflation and the effects on the money supply by changing interest rates. So just let's think about this for a second. If we're in a situation where the interest rate is low, then people can access money easily. You can easily get a loan. But if you save your cash, you're going to get barely anything on that because interest rates are low. So the value then to the consumer, to you and I is to be able to go access debt easily and not to save money because saving seems to be not valuable when there's a low interest rate environment. But if they raise interest rates, now you're in a position where it's harder to get access to debt. It's harder to get a loan because you're going to pay more for the cost of that capital. It discourages borrowing. It discourages spending. And because you can get a higher interest rate on your savings, it encourages saving, which then you think if more people are hanging on to their cash, then there's going to be less dollars going out into the economy. And so they have some ability to change what money is... Flowing in the economy based on interest rates. And so you see right now, with interest rates being extremely low, you would say, well, that's partially or could be driving some of the inflation. And then you hear talk of them saying, well, we want to raise interest rates, which may tamper and change some of what's happening with inflation. But if they're going to raise interest rates, then your bond values, as you were just talking about, would be dipping and decreasing on the bonds that are currently being held, which is what you're saying, Bruce, would not make sense then to be holding the bonds in that situation. And and this article really focused on the other side saying, well, if you had put more into equities, then you probably would have captured more rate of return. And so by holding a full 40% of your portfolio in bonds, you're being too safe and too conservative. And you should be putting probably more into equities so that you can capture that upswing. So again, a lot of opinion. And you and I both know, we've talked about several times on the podcast as well, that just because you have a historical average rate of return in the stock market does not mean that you're going to get that performance on an annual guaranteed year after year basis in the future, which is the fallacy or the myth the trap that we can fall into with our thinking if we think there's been a historical average of 7% in the stock market that tends to make us think i'm going to get 7% every single year going forward on my money if i put it in the stock market and that's absolutely not true
2: yeah absolutely everything we're talking about here has to do with the money supply and basically interest rates like the next one is reits real estate investment trust which is basically a an investment where you package together a bunch of of uh, commercial real estate, or mostly uh, multifamily housing, uh, apartment complexes, so on and so forth. And obviously, that is interest rate driven, because as interest rates go up, people cannot afford to buy their own personal home. So they have to actually go and people always need somewhere to live. So what they do is then instead of buying homes, they actually rent homes or rent apartments. And the more people that want to rent apartments, the the more that they actually can raise the rents because of that supply and demand again. So they're saying invest in REITs. Now, we agree with that personally here at E3, um, but I'm not saying that uh, we can't, we're not giving any advice because we'd have to see your – there's pros and cons to REITs in general, uh, both traded and non-traded. And so you'd have to ask an investment advisor if it works for you. The next one is S&P 500. And it's interesting, Rachel, you were just talking about the 60-40 portfolio and, and you read something or the other article saying, you know, maybe you should have put more of your money in equities and got out of bonds. What's interesting, I'm a fiduciary. I'm trained. I had all the courses. I passed the test. And the SEC would actually tell you that is irresponsible to do. You'll get in trouble if you do that, if you don't have some kind of hedge against that in a bond portfolio. because Yes, the S&P could go up and traditionally it has, but what's the time frame? Is it short term, medium, long term? And so if you put if you put an 80-year-old in the S&P right now because they they don't want to be in bonds, I had this exact conversation with one of my clients, an 83-year-old client yesterday. They said they didn't like the fact that they lost 3% uh, in their bond index funds uh, last year. And I said, "I understand that, but if we go to equities and it you, it plunges, you can lose a lot more in equities than you can in the, the 3% in the bond market. That's not responsible. I cannot tell you that's a good thing to do. Matter of fact, I can't tell you for, for two reasons. My conscience won't let you, let me. Mm-hmm. And if you would lose 40% of your portfolio, because I, I advise you to do that, the SEC would come back to me and say, that was not appropriate and I could be fined or even lose my license. So What's funny about this all the time is, once again, the SEC or FINRA, the Financial Regulatory Authority, actually is trying to protect people. But then people are saying, I don't have to take any responsibility for my actions because I'm the one. I'm an adult. I'm 83 years old. I should decide if I want to take the risk or not. But then you take the risk and lose 40 percent of your money. The SEC can come back in and say, you took advantage of that person you're going to be fined or you're going to lose your license, even though this is an 83-year-old person that you know, can make their own decisions. So mm. it's funny how the industry is. Real estate's a sixth one. Well, it's the same thing as the Real Estate Investment Trust, the same, same reason you hold real estate. And the value of it, as we're seeing right now, the value of the real estate is going up because uh, there, people are not actually, this is a little different, pe- people are not actually building homes because they know a lot of the population can't afford homes in a rising interest rate environment. So the demand, um, it's a supply issue in this case, not a demand issue. So they're not building, there's not new housing starts, so there's not enough. So the few people that are, that can buy homes in this rising interest rate environment can't find the supply so they can raise the prices that way. I'm going to skip the seventh, the seventh one for right now, and I'm going to go to the eighth one. Leverage loans. In other words, you're taking loans against something that is actually um, pretty stable as far as the interest rates uh, whole life insurance would be one of those things and then you actually take that and you actually put it into an investment and and make uh money in that particular investment tips uh, which are inflation protected uh securities or bonds that actually are supposed to mirror uh inflation uh there's there's uh, some debate whether it it mirrors the actual inflation or just what the government says is inflation. All right, now I'd like to go back to the, when I skipped the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. So in this particular article, they espouse, you gotta get into the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index if you want to do something about inflation. Well, all you have to do is is Google the returns on this one. The one year return as we had inflation Throughout two thousand twenty one especially at the end of the year was they actually lost two point zero nine percent in this index, and the year to date they actually lost over two percent. so it's funny how you know this person who actually wrote this article it was it was fact checked it was reviewed by these people that actually supposedly have the credentials for doing this. Did they actually even look at the returns that were happening to this? Now, I know why they think that it it is a good thing to put it in the bond index because they think, well, rising index, you're actually going to get greater returns on it, but the value of the bonds are actually going down that they had already had in the index. They don't understand that part. But don't take my word for it. I mean, we're going to put this in the, the show notes look it up. It's, uh, it certainly hasn't proved to be a hedge against inflation.
3: Bruce, I think this conversation is just so
1: interesting because, <clears throat> again, we're all looking for information. What do we do? What do we do given the landscape, given inflation, given the devaluing of the dollar, given the low interest rate environment, given the fact that its interest rates probably will rise, given that the price of housing and the the cost of real estate is likely on the rise. Given all of this, what do we do? And I think you and I are both proponents and firm believers in multiple things. One, that you need to become educated. You need to start doing your due diligence and really looking uh, to become educated about finances so that you can make decisions in these environments. Now, we also want to say, we'll point back to an article by Les Maguire, and he talked about the economic value of certainty. And what he's talking about is this idea that you don't just want to say, well, today our main enemy on the horizon, the lurking enemy is inflation. We've got to conquer inflation with our financial strategy today. But tomorrow, we're going to have a different enemy on the horizon that we've got to battle with and change our strategy completely. There's something bigger than financial products. That's the strategy. But there's something bigger than a strategy. And that is the principle. What is the financial principle? What is your financial infrastructure, the thing that guides you in making decisions? Now, I can't tell you what yours is, but I can tell you a little bit about mine and Bruce's and the way that we think on The Money Advantage. We think about having capital in our control that we can access, that in the widest range of circumstances, if inflation happens, if interest rates go up or if they go down, if we live a very long life or if we don't, if any circumstance happens That is outside of our control that we have the most ability to change what we're doing the most options available to us and the most solid ground that is the certainty the certainty of knowing no matter what comes at us no matter what enemy we're fighting tomorrow that we have the the most options so that we can be in control and so i really love thinking about having a a pool of capital my reserves where i can access and use them that money is not going to drop in value I have the ability to use it as I choose and that it's growing at an uninterrupted compound growth rate. And now I know we talk a lot on this show about infinite banking, and this is not just a plug for infinite banking, but I do want to tell you why I see it super uh, as a very valuable component of having a strong financial strategy, because it's not just a product. It's not just a strategy. It helps me fulfill a principle of saying, how do I store capital so that in an environment where prices crash and everyone wants cash, but nobody can get access to cash because interest rates are high. And I have capital to be able to seize assets. I want to have the capital to do that. Or I'm in a situation where I want to hire in my business and I need capital to pay the right, ideal, highest um, skilled employee to get into that role so I can grow my business. Or I see a business opportunity that I want to merge or form a partnership where I want to invest in real estate. I want to buy a multifamily property. I want to have cash so that I can make those decisions at the right time. And what I see is that for me, infinite banking is a tremendous cog. It is the wheel that turns the rest of my financial life. Because if I put capital into a specially designed whole life insurance policy. I have the ability to grow with dividends and interest. That cash value does not drop in value. I can borrow against it and pay back according to my own schedule. And then I'm in a position where it's continuing to grow with uninterrupted compound growth, even when I borrow against it. So I'm not just thinking about inflation, but I am thinking about inflation because I'm saying, if I only put my cash in this infinite banking policy, I'm going to have dividends and cash dividends and interest that are going to continue to grow inside that policy. And is it going to keep up with inflation? Probably not. But is it going to do better than any other place that I have to store my capital where it's still accessible? It's better than anything we've found yet. But it's not just an asset to sit on the shelf. I have the ability to borrow against that capital and use it somewhere else so I can get an external return when the investment is right, which means I don't have to go get the best rate of return because I'm getting the two returns on the same money at the same time because I'm using my money twice. So I like to think of it as this hub that allows me to do so much more in my financial life. And that's why I think that even in a situation where we have high inflation, even if it went higher than today's inflation is sitting at, I feel very comfortable knowing that I'm still in the best situation I could have prepared myself for. Now, Bruce, before we end, I just want your thoughts on that. And then any other big picture idea that somebody should be thinking about in the whole context of inflation?
2: Uh, If you have an entrepreneurial mindset, okay, now not everybody does, Mm -hmm. then uh, the the best... Hedge against inflation, in my opinion, is probably a business, because uh, as prices increase, the reason they're increasing is because people are paying for that goods and service, and thus the same profit margin is probably being maintained by that particular business. So you, that's a hedge against I tell people all the time, it's kind of like, uh, you know when I was growing up, my father had a business, it was a shell. Uh, service station, gas station. I can remember when when uh gasoline was nineteen cents a gallon. Okay. And so he was making a living at nineteen cents a gallon um because of the arbitrage between what he was buying the gasoline for and then selling the gasoline for. Well the same thing happens today, even though oil prices are going up, um uh, then uh they actually raise the gasoline prices and the only reason they cannot raise the prices this is what i don't think people understand people think they raise the prices because of corporate greed no they raise the prices because they have to actually pay for the commodity Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: people are uh, uh, actually paying that price because they can because they have money now not everybody can but the general overall populations of the world can. not That's why hyperinflation cannot be sustained forever. Because what will happen is, as prices continue to go up and people have spent all their money on that particular price, now the money supply is less relative to the population of the world. Prices have to come down or at least stabilize, stabilize. Because We're not continuing to put money into the uh, supply. And actually, the Federal Reserve or the Monetary Bank of the world can actually pull money out of the system. And how they do that is by manipulating interest rates. And I would prefer they wouldn't manipulate interest rates and just let the free market do that. And so would Austrian economists, which Bob Bob Murphy, who we had on the show, would actually talk about. That's the best way to let the system. uh, Do this. So that is actually the the thing I'd like to leave people with. If you're entrepreneurial minded, if you're not entrepreneurial minded to the point where you can, you know, do a business, then you ought to get with somebody, an advisor and talk to them about what is the best way to do it in your situation. And because nobody from reading an article in my opinion can figure it out or i should say nobody that's an absolute very few people because some people are going to figure it out by accident it's like almost dumb luck it's mm-hmm. kind of like these nfts that are out there now you know that you're you're seeing on television and things it's like this person bought this for 140 dollars just three weeks ago and sold it for 23 million that's how and then they're like I-, I can teach you how to make money in nfts well are you really serious here i mean that That was like an outlier. Mm -hmm. Well, people that start businesses are in control themselves for the most part. And when you're not in control and you don't want to push yourself to that, you need to have an advisor, in my opinion, to help you through. That advisor may be a a trusted friend or a a trusted relative, but just remember, are they really staying up with, with things professionally? In the world of economics, are they stuck in the past where things aren't the same? Like the greatest example, and I'll end on this, gold used to be a place where you would run to in time of inflation, but now crypto, people are running to crypto instead of gold. So gold's not really the same kind of inflation as, as it has been before, in my opinion.
1: You know, Bruce, I think this is a very insightful conversation. Thank you for just bringing so much knowledge to the table here. I think what we want to leave you with, if you're listening, is the idea that you can be more in control of your financial destiny than just having to make decisions based on the sway and the whim of interest rates and inflation and all of the boogeymen on the financial horizon around you. So if you are interested in really taking a look at your full financial life and evaluating what's the best tax strategy to coordinate with the best estate planning, with my best investments and the insurance that I need, and thinking about my mortgage correctly, and thinking about my cash flow correctly, and my leverage and my access to capital and my business strategy, we would love to be a resource for you. We bring a family office model to the table that offers you the ability to coordinate your entire financial strategy. Leaning on experts that work together for the common goal of putting you in control. And we would love to be a resource for you. You can reach out to us at theMoneyAdvantage.com to book a conversation and get started finding out if we would be a good fit for helping you reach your goals. With that, we'll leave you on this show today. Please like this podcast. Please go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Google Play or wherever you're listening to the show. And we will come. you next time with more great content to help you stay in control of your financial life. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking put in your name and primary email address click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside
0: thank you for listening to the money advantage podcast today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com if you like this episode make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principle. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.